what ends relationships is when somebody calculates that this person's either hurting me on purpose or they don't even know what hurts me and doesn't hurt me. Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Yeah, I lived in Portland for four years. Yeah, because my partner, he is originally from just outside of Portland. So when he turned, he was having, I always like to blame it on him. He was having a midlife crisis. He had just turned 40 and a birthday that I know you celebrated recently or not that long ago, right? Two years Um, ago. ago, yeah. Yeah, you turned 40 in 2020, if I remember this correctly. I would have turned 41 in 2020. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, so because I, the year 2000 was my big 21 year. That's how I remember. Oh, God. So good. You know, once you get to a certain age, past 35, I, I just start pretending to forget, like, what age I am. I'm like, what? How old am I? I'm 35 forever. I'm capable of being off by a year. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, Tori was having a little bit of a midlife crisis, and we left LA and literally a year in, he's like, we need to move back. It's funny because, okay, I know you guys are listening to this. If you're just joining in, this conversation started (laughs) a little while ago. Uh, You're listening to the Radically Loved podcast. And we are here with a very special guest. Matthew Frey is here with us. And he is here to talk about God, I'm like, I want to say he's here to talk about everything. He he has a book coming out very soon. You're all going to pre-order it. It's called uh, This Is How Your Marriage Ends. And he is, I want to call you your relationship coach. I want to call you just like a relationship expert because, no, he gave a face. Oh, I heard you uh, discussing the idea. The expert. Of, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about this. And Here's I laughed thing. at it. This idea of like running for the hills if somebody describes themselves as. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So run for the hills. He's not a relationship expert. But here's <laughs> the difference, Matt. Like the difference is that you had this lived in experience that really speaks not only to me personally as somebody who has gone through a death of a relationship, but you really, I think it's the humility to which you approach these topics from a very like, like malleable place that, that is very straightforward and honest. I know you don't necessarily want to call yourself a relationship expert, but you do have a very lived in weathered experience that you can speak to. So I appreciate that. And I'm excited to talk to you about it because apropos during that time in Tori and I's relationship, we were going through a very difficult time. And I I don't remember now, you'll have to forgive me because again, as I said, we were supposed to have this conversation a month ago and I listened to an interview that you did where you were talking about this, the leaving the, the dish by the, by the sink. Yes. And this was, I'm not kidding. The topic of many a fights in my household. And when I heard you really describe and, and break this down about what this actually represents in a relationship about not being seen, about not being validated. I was like, Matthew has to come on the show. We have to have this conversation because everything that you talk about and why you went viral for the people that are just hearing your name for the first time has so much to do with you processing the ending of a relationship, right? So I know I kind of work work just kind of all over the place at at this time, but this is kind of like how I I enjoy having conversations. (laughs) So first of all, I'm just curious, learning everything that you have in the last 10 years, 
of your life. When you look back at the person that you were 10 years ago to the person that you are today, what sticks out the most? What do you see in Matthew 10 years ago with regard to engaging and having a relationship with another person that is the thing that you think, wow, like what a great lesson. And I'm not saying, oh, some bad characteristic or anything like that. I'm just saying like, what, what is the first thing that comes to your mind 10 years ago, Matthew, right now? When I think about 10 years ago, I don't know if this is going to be what you expect to hear or not, but I was not literally 10 years ago because my marriage was falling apart. But if we're going to like approximately 10 years ago, just in the past, old, old me. Yes. I was really comfortable. I was comfortable with this idea that I'm a decent guy. Therefore, I must be like a good relationship partner. And any sort of complaints or suggestions to the contrary reflect something that's wrong with the relationship partner more so than it could be anything that I'm doing bad or wrong. Because, you know, I had convinced myself I was this good person. And I do believe that I, I show up okay in the world, even even as my old self, I, I really do try to like bring positivity and not negativity. And I mean that like sort of across the board, but it's a really important lesson. And we, you don't have to try to hurt people to hurt people, right? People can be hurt. Yeah. And the absence of you trying to, or even being aware of the fact that you're doing it and the absence of that knowledge allows you to be very comfortable. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to be responsible for anything except me. And so it was like this sort of like blissful, ignorant, like, I don't know. I just, I just tried to have like fun all the time and do what felt good. So fast forward 10 years, life feels a smidge more complicated today than it does then because I have accepted the mantle of responsibility for making sure that the result of things I do or don't do yes, don't roll downhill and affect people in a negative way that I care about. And that you know, it doesn't extend really to anybody more than it does my ex-wife. Still, right. as the other parent of my son, who we share cooperatively, and and I, I don't know, I think really, I think really well. I'm like super proud of us, but I don't know. I'm really proud of the. I don't know if it's transformation, growth, something, evolution. Yes. From what I was in that relationship to my capacity for just mindfully considering how what I do or don't do will impact her. And the stakes are so much less, right? As someone yeah. who doesn't live here anymore as just the other parents to my son. But there, there hasn't been really a better laboratory for practicing this, I don't think, than, mm. than that relationship. Because when you share a child with somebody with whom yeah. you don't live with, you're still capable of causing them an enormous amount of yes. stress or pain. And I, you know, I come across it in my coaching work sometimes where you know, parents at odds with one another, particularly if they're not together anymore, it can have a, a really negative effect on the individuals and sometimes the kids themselves. Yeah. Well, I definitely, I come from a divorced, separated, actually, they didn't actually get divorced until like 10 years ago, but I was maybe nine or 10 years old when my parents split up. And so my ideas of relationships I didn't have any healthy models around. It was very much very tumultuous and chaotic. All the relationships in my family were, they were very Latin and passionate and <laughs> very unstable. And so my belief system was, oh, everybody just basically does whatever the hell they want and says whatever the hell they want and basically that's how you have a relationship. You're essentially just doing whatever you want in a selfish way. And so I think that for me, as I got older and I realized the level of responsibility that you need to take in order to be in a healthy relationship is insurmountable. I mean, it's huge to have to reconcile the fact that somebody else's happiness is dependent on your awareness and your validation of their experience. And one of the biggest fights that Tori and I had during our, like, I'll call it during the seven year itch period, because we've been together for 
it'll be 19 years in April Wow! when your book comes out. Wow. Yeah. It's a long, it's a long time, but I feel like relationships definitely go in cycles of seven years. So like when we had our 14 year anniversary, we had another little growth spurt, I call it opportunity for growth or opportunity for separation, you know, but the whole putting the cup, I'm like, why just, why don't you put the cup inside the sink? I don't understand why you don't put it in the sink. And he had a valid reason. He said, I don't want to break the glass inside the sink. And I feel like it'll fall. And it's like, if I leave it here, I'll wash it. You know, when I come back, it, to me, it just was what you've talked about in other interviews. I've heard you say the blatant disregard of somebody's whole experience and the way that you have so beautifully articulated that as what is really behind the action of your partner. So I I kind of I want to dig into that because I have worked as a coach for I don't know about 12 years at this point. I've worked with couples and I feel like across the board, I don't do any coaching now, but I feel like across the board, the issues were always the same. This sort of disregard of your experience or my experience is more hurtful or I'm the one that's having the bigger feelings. Therefore, your feelings are invalidated. So I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit and just, you know, help us understand these dynamics and what is actually beneath these actions. I think it's, you're the first person I think that I've ever heard say that, although I'm confident every therapist, marriage counselor, anybody (laughs) who's ever worked with couples would report the same experience. You just articulated it very similarly to the way I do. I tell almost everybody I work with that the themes that bring somebody to like a conversation with me to, to work on their relationship. The themes that are harming an individual or the couple in the relationship are always, they feel so, I mean, this is hyperbolic to say it's like everyone, nothing is everyone, but it is, it's everyone. Uh-huh. It's having <laughs> the same themes and what changes are the details, right? So what was the, the glass by the snake in my relationship or your relationship can be, the way the dog food gets cleaned up after feeding them in the morning, right? It can be just like anything. And it's, I'm really trying to help a person, most often a guy in a heterosexual relationship, right? <laughs> like learn how to think about it, not as this isolated incident, because I don't know like kind of what your take on it is. And I'd be really interested, but I just think like reasonable minds can agree that a glass by a sink is absolutely not worth ending a relationship over. Yes. Which is why it's sort of ludicrous to believe that people are are ending relationships and, you know, that silly like viral blog post title. It was, you know, it's sort of like true and not true at the same time, right? It was, I I was trying to have fun with it. I didn't mean for it to be like this click baity bait and switch thing. But when you can like dive into, you know, what that says to a human being, you know, you I assume you communicated this word. And let's maybe make it not so personal. If somebody's partner says, hey, could you please, you know, clean up like the dog food after like feeding the pets in the morning, just so there isn't like all that, whatever. I'm making this up as I go because I have no idea what it is. But to choose not to do that, I just think is to just fundamentally not care about yeah. the math result of like your action or inaction. And, and to me, that is is what ends relationships is when somebody calculates that this person's either hurting me on purpose or they don't even know what hurts me and doesn't hurt me. Either way, I can't feel safe in this relationship because yes. they are a perpetual threat, intentional or otherwise, to harm me. And so people with like a healthy sense of like, you know, personal values and boundaries is going to say to voluntarily exist in this relationship where I'm being hurt all the time is a bad choice for me. So I'm going to leave, right? And I used to think people ending relationships was this this massive negative. I even say in the book that I think I call divorce almost like ridiculously dramatically the great social crisis of our time. And I sort of, sort of, I mean, I really believe that in in a math way, but it doesn't have to be marriage. It just has to be 
our inability to like exist in a healthy relationship is is such a dangerous thing that I had, think has a lot of ramifications for other aspects of our lives. But I don't know. Yeah. It, no, you do. Yeah. No, you do know. You know, I love it when people are like, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, but you do know. <laughs> this is where, as you're saying that, it's reminding me of something else that you've said where you compare those feelings, the hurt with somebody else having like the second degree burn and and they have, they're covering it up and you by accident, you know, I think of a really bad sunburn, you're wearing a t-shirt and of course, inevitably, that's when everybody wants to pat you on the back or somebody, you know, it's the thing that you want to avoid the most. And we don't realize how much our inability to really take in what the other is experiencing. So I really, I love that you're, you're saying it in that way, because truly, I mean, dude, I have no idea. Like I've, when people ask me, like, what is the secret of being for, to having a long term relationship? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I really don't. I feel that if I could give people advice on this is how we deal with conflict. This is how we deal with disagreements. I think it has more to do with what you're saying with the things that you're talking about. It's sort of the pay attention to those little things, death by a thousand paper cuts, pay attention to those little things that you think are innocuous, that you feel are so unimportant because you look at the picture like you, you've you described in your relationship when you think about the cup in the grand scheme of things, it's like, oh, like you think this is a big deal? Like, what are you going to think when something really big happens? Right? Type of thing. So literally my thought was yeah. what happens when tragedy really strikes? How are you going to survive if this is the sort of thing that you allow to affect you adversely? And in a twisted way that I guess that makes sense to love somebody and to like worry about that. But it also is, I don't know, ignorantly, blindly not accepting any responsibility for like a role in that. It's just, it's not really an apples to apples comparison. I think that I understand how to talk about it in a way that's useful today. When I first started this work, a lot of people accused me of like blaming men because I had so much like self-loathing language in the way that I'd write about this and in the way that I talk about it. And that is, and I would say in this like post-divorce, like coaching life that I've, you know, tried to build, that's the thing I think I'm most proud of. That if I brought this from day one, I don't think I would have accusations from men on my blog right. that suggest that I'm somehow like anti-man and pro-woman and they, they try to make it so binary. And it, yeah. it's just those. It's not about gender it's about maintaining the requisite amount of safety and trust in your relationship. Yeah. And everybody feels bad when they feel betrayed or unloved or disrespected, particularly by the person they ranked number one on the power scale of like, this person promised me the most. Yeah. When you start dealing with people that have um, abandonment issues from childhood or had a previous abusive or neglectful or otherwise harmful relationships, and then our failure to show up for them and the, the pain is so deep, right? And I'm not like a clinician. I'm not qualified to like help somebody with something like that. I'm not a doctor, but I am at least like intellectually aware that those people suffer tremendously when it's like, I finally found somebody that I calculate to be safe. That's going to give me this, this partnership and companionship and stability that I didn't feel I had in my youth or in my twenties or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under them and they can be with a guy who's like a pretty decent guy. Mm -hmm. He's like pretty, he's pretty decent. He just blindly doesn't know how to see or talk about the things that we're discussing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very, I mean, it's very difficult. You have, especially again, without making this a binary conversation, I love men. We are men lovers on this podcast. Like we love all the people, you know, and what I love about men the most in a very loving way, especially when it comes to conflict, men want to fix, right? It's like, I want problem. I fix, like, how do I fix this? And one of the things that I really, and, and it could be a nuanced thing. And I don't know that anybody's ever brought it up, but what I love about 
the way that you articulate these issues are very quantifiable. They're very, I don't want to say mathematical, but it's a very simple way of saying like X plus Y is going to equal X square. Like it's very simple to look at something. And I feel that for some people, I'm not saying just men, but I feel that there are a lot of people out there who need that rudimentary structure in approaching issues and dynamics and relationships that might be a little bit too emotionally complex because we are complex individuals. We're very complex. And you mentioned, you know, having abandonment issues. You know, there's so many layers to our, for lack of a better word, triggers or the things that set us off that, again, going back to what you just said about the promise where we are then ultimately let down by the person who's supposed to be able to handle us, who's supposed to be the one that is going to help us figure out all our issues and and be that all things to, to me, right? The last two years have been crazy. We've never experienced anything like this in our lifetimes. We never experienced such an effect on our mental well-being. Unfortunately, a lot of us have been beaten down by anxiety, stress, and poor sleep due to all the uncertainty in the world. And if you're a working parent, you've had the extra difficulty of keeping your kids occupied 24-7 while trying to work from home. It's not an easy task. So if you're feeling extra exhausted and burnt out, you're not alone. There are tens of thousands of people in a similar place right now. The question is, what can we do to enhance our mental well-being? One critical thing I'm advising all of my family and friends to take is magnesium breakthrough daily. Here's why. Stress and anxiety deplete your magnesium levels. Low magnesium levels then contribute to more anxiety. It's like a vicious cycle. By supplementing with Magnesium Breakthrough, you can break that cycle because you'll be getting seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium for stress relief and better sleep all in one bottle. Taking Magnesium Breakthrough will help you to experience more energy, stronger bones, healthy blood pressure, less irritability, a calmer mood, reduced muscle cramping, even fewer migraines. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to feel yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood, energy levels, and so much more. You'll feel so much more rested and you'll be ready to take on the day. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, just head over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash radically loved and use the code radically loved 10 during checkout to save 10% off and get free shipping. That's www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash radically loved and use the code radically loved 10 during your checkout to save 10% off plus free shipping. That's www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash radically loved and use the promo code radically loved 10. Last year's rates of anxiety and depression have doubled. These days, it can take weeks to get a traditional therapy appointment. Did you know that psychiatrist visits can cost upward of $500 per session? And traditional therapy visits are over $100 a session? That can add up to thousands of dollars per year. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people in the last two years that have been struggling. Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. One of my closest friends lost her job during the pandemic, and that included her health insurance. She's been on anxiety medication for the last five years, and she was extremely worried of being able to afford both her therapy sessions and her medication. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can skip the pharmacy lines. With Cerebral mobile app, it's like having your personal care team wherever you are, and you can mess your care team and access self-care resources wherever you are. They also have affordable treatments that are one-third of the price of traditional therapy. So treatment options are available with or without insurance. Cerebral is in-network for several insurers, and they're working every day to grow their partnerships. So even if you're out of network, they'll provide you with the necessary paperwork so you can easily submit a claim. And for all of our Radically listeners, you can receive 65% off of your first month of medication management and care counseling if you go to www.cerebral.com forward slash loved. 
That's www.cerebral.com forward slash loved. That's C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L dot com forward slash loved for 65% off of your first month. That's just a total of $30 to get started. So join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality healthcare accessible and affordable for all. Even though a lot of us can attest to feeling young at heart, we'll be facing the same issues many Americans over 50. As we get older, we're more concerned about affordable healthcare, lower prescription costs, and protecting Social Security and Medicare. AARP advocates for you and offers financial and job resources, fraud protection help, information on joining local volunteer groups, and much more. Because AARP knows you have a lot of good years ahead. When my mom first joined AARP, I thought it was something that it was only for, you know, people that were getting a little up there. I didn't realize how many benefits they had. Family caregiver support. They have job board and resume advisors. They have financial planning, retirement, and social security resources. They even have the largest advocacy group for people over 50. And look, this is a place, hopefully, if we're lucky enough to get there, we're all going there at one point or another. And I think being prepared is one of the smartest things that we can do for our lives and for the lives of those we love. You can go over and check out the benefits for yourself or for a parent. Go to www.aarp.org forward slash loved. You can join for just $12 for your first year with automatic renewal. You'll get a second membership for free plus AARP, the magazine, as a free gift. Head over to www.aarp.org forward slash loved. That's aarp.org forward slash loved. This is for all my people out there asking what I've been wearing in my Instagram stories. Well, now they're a sponsor of this podcast. So everyone is talking about fake spring, how difficult it is to dress around this time. But that's because it is. It can be so difficult to find the right outfit in the spring when every day is different and the weather can change at the drop of a hat. Luckily, Verity makes it way easier. Their clothes is perfect for all seasons. Verity is a family-run brand making high-quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. It's the kind of effortless style you want every time you go digging in your closet. That set, that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had him for years. Maybe it's that gorgeous print that you love that looks like it might have been vintage or it fits so well. For me, the minute that something feels comfortable and worn in, I'm going to be wearing it every day, all day all night and just live in it. And that's what you guys have been seeing. So that little number you've been seeing me wear is the Blythe jumpsuit. And I have it in both the colors that they have, both in the indigo wash and the pink tie dye. It's made of 98% organic cotton and 2% elastane. And it is so comfy and it looks good with any type of shoe. If I'm wearing a flat, if I'm wearing my Nikes, like it is super comfortable and it looks great. I've been kind of on the go the last couple of weeks and it's literally my go-to outfit. Oh, there's also the Legend sweater shirt in charcoal buffalo, so check that out. Faraday is so confident in the quality of their stuff, they have made a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. So talk about making it easier to get dressed, right? Now Faraday is giving all of our Radically Loved listeners 20% off. 20% off. All you have to do is head over to faritybrand.com forward slash loved and use the code loved at checkout. And you can get that 20% off on all of your new spring staples. That's the code L-O-V-E-D at Faraday, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y brand.com forward slash loved to get 20% off. Faritybrand.com forward slash loved. So I'm curious, can any relationship be saved? I try not to think about, I mean, I, I think the answer is no. I think we can have enough trust betrayals and pains accrue that, and again, forgive me, I like to talk about it in the way that it's often a female partner accidentally being hurt by her male partner. That is far and away the most common dynamic in my world. Right. These and I, I just can't emphasize enough that I don't think these people are bad and that I don't even necessarily think they're doing bad things. I think it's a miscalculation. It's 
when I do this, while it's benign in almost every other part of my life, it adversely affects my partner, the dog food thing, the dish by the sink. Those are relatively inconsequential things like at the world at large, but at the relationship level with just one person, it can be a breach of trust. It can be a betrayal if you're willing to allow the word betrayal to mean like breaking a promise or letting somebody down over something we perceive to be like really, really minor. And I think it's useful to use the word betrayal when talking about these things and just and, and pain and hurt. You know, I'm hurt when I see this dish by this. Like it doesn't mean it hurts the same as, you know, like putting your hand on like the hot burner or, you know, having something really awful and overtly painful happen to you. But it's the way that I know how to think about it because I want to protect my loved ones from feeling hurt. Yeah. I think when I don't behave in a manner that results in pain for the people I love, that they can feel safe with me. Where I used to think I was owed, you owe me, I'm a safe person, having that in your head and saying words like that by virtue of me just saying I love you and promising to care about you. It's not relevant, I thought 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, whether you misinterpret my intentions sometimes, it's not the way. In real life, things we do or don't do will sometimes result in like pain for someone else. And the difference between the relationships that make it and the relationships that don't are the people who accept responsibility for, wow, like, okay, my partner is sometimes hurt because of things I wasn't even paying attention to. I'm going to pay attention to them and not allow those same things to hurt her anymore or him because, well, because I care about them. I'm going to, you know, that's talking about guys wanting to fix things like that to me. I want them to take their like fix it mentality, like to that place. So you said, can like every relationship be safe? And I try not to think about it. I think that's a less useful way to think about it than what if we don't stack up the tiny betrayals in the first place? Mm. Like what if through a series of two habits, which, you know, in my work coaching and, and, and writing the book, I hyper-focus on two ideas very specifically. And I believe this and, and it's usually men, but it's really everybody. Can we habit one validate when somebody comes to us and reports there's a problem. Somebody raises their hand and says, hey, this thing hurts me. Can the results of that conversation be validating rather than invalidating? And I posit that invalidation equals an erosion of trust. And so when we habitually invalidate, we like chip away at whatever pile of trust we have. And sooner or later, we're not, we're not gonna have that trust. We're not gonna have enough to like justify having a relationship anymore. Habit number two, which is like the precursor to to validating in terms of like life happening is consideration. I want to be mindful of how what I do or don't do impacts this person that I share space with, Mm. you know, whether it's a house or whether it's emotional space, whatever. I need to be able to calculate for that. And so, so many of the people that I work with, and they're again, usually men trying to repair a broken or eroded relationship. They're, they're trying to restore trust with their partner. They're trying to like get back and, and her, his good graces. And you can't do that when the quote unquote math results of things that you do or don't do hurts them. No matter how ludicrous you think yeah. it is that they feel hurt by that. No matter how much you disagree that, that that's actually painful or that you shouldn't be doing it. Um, yeah. Which I think what most of us think, most of us think we're like a decent person. We didn't intend any harm. You know, I love you. You don't give me credit for all the good that I bring, right? I'm only hearing about like the negative stuff. And then people get really defensive. Yeah. Really defensive. And defensiveness is, it's it's one of the three ways we habitually invalidate people is by responding defensively. Yeah. Can you give us another example of that? Well, I say, so I, I say the same like little spiel to almost every coaching client that I have. It's something that I call the invalidation triple threat. It's the three distinct ways I believe we invalidate our partners. And, and the key is when we disagree with them, because we agree all of the time in our relationships, we, we share like values and ideals and we don't have conflict, but sometimes we don't agree with something that our partner's saying or thinking or feeling. And so how it looked in my marriage was my wife would come to me and she would say, Hey, Matt, this bad thing happened. I feel bad about it. This is me like communicating with you, right? It sometimes was sad or angry or sounded a little more accusatory than that. But I truly believe if we're like breaking down, like the words and the ideas shared, my wife is saying a bad thing happened to me and I'm just trying to communicate this to you now. 
And the first way in which I would respond to her, again, when I disagreed with her, was to disagree with the way she was thinking about it. I would disagree that the event happened as she said it did. And I would try to correct her and say, wait a minute, that's not what happened. Like maybe it's her describing this incident between like Greg and Jenny at the party earlier that night. And I'm like, wait, but that's not what happened. This is what happened. Right. And I would like challenge her intellectual interpretation of what happened. Version two of invalidating my wife habitually was she'd say, hey, Matt, this bad thing happened. I feel bad about it. This time I would agree that she was like describing the incident accurately. I wouldn't take umbrage with that. But this time I would perceive her emotional calibration to be sort of unfair. Like she's overreacting to this minor incident. So invalidation version two is I judge your emotions to be wrong. So your brain's wrong or your emotions are wrong. And then version three is just defending myself. If my wife is coming to me and saying, Matt, this thing happened and it hurt. And then I say, but wait, let me explain why it was so smart for me to do that. One, we invalidate. Two, we're always choosing ourselves over them. But three, I think there's this real danger of promising to do the hurtful, betraying thing again. Every time we defend, explain, justify that we did something that hurt our romantic partner, we're implying that we will do this again in the future because it was such a like brilliant you know, stroke of genius to, to make that call at the time. And I just can't fathom that I used to do this on autopilot all the time and you know, try to convince my wife that this thing she's saying was bad for her and harmed our relationship on some level, even if it was really minor, that, that this was this really like noble, justifiable thing that I did. It's, it's just really shocking to me that like I think about it that way or that I, excuse me, that I did think about it that way. And so today when I'm working with a client, the, my number one priority, if they have this invalidation habit, almost every guy that I work with and a hetero relationship has this habit. Um, sometimes it's the other way. Sometimes truly it's like, you know, his wife has the invalidation habit, but the vast, vast majority of the time, it's some guy like me is how I think about it. And I just want him to understand that invalidation breeds mistrust, that it will like pretend the end of your relationship done too often over a long period of time. Because yeah. what ended up happening, I, I sort of alluded to it two minutes ago, but here's the, the math of my relationship with my wife for the entirety of our 12 years together. If I didn't agree with what my wife thought or what my wife felt, I always chose how I felt over how she felt every time. And if you can just imagine being somebody, and I don't think any, I think many of your listening audience won't have to like imagine. I have to, because that's the thing is, you know, my wife never did that to me, right? Like I acted like I was so noble and, and so decent and that I would never like try to hurt her on purpose. And then here's this like ultra painful thing that she's experiencing constantly. And then I'm acting like she's the weak one or the crazy one or the bad one in the relationship for having felt that. If I felt hurt by something, I think this is the great miscalculation of most of the guys I work with in their relationship. Their brain says, this thing doesn't hurt. Like this incident, I'm pretty smart, right? I'm 40 or whatever I am. I'm alive. And sometimes they're like really brilliant, like in their lives and their work. They're like, I know that this is not a painful thing. The way that I, you know, knives and guns and fire, those things hurt. But this, this isn't something that hurts people. And then, you know, she's like, it hurts. And he's like, no, it doesn't. And what I want these guys to like figure out how to do is think of what hurts. Like instead of challenging your wife's notion of what matters or what's painful, what hurts you? And then now imagine you're bringing this thing that hurts you to your partner and you're just getting shunned like every single time. You're getting told that you're dumb or you're getting told that you're weak or you're getting told that if the result of something she did or didn't do caused that hurt in you, then it's your problem. You know, don't make her responsible for your feelings. This is what many, many men accidentally, and I do mean to defend them because there isn't this like overt harm intended that's abusive and gross. And I would encourage anybody in this overtly abusive relationship to consider loving themselves enough to not be subject themselves to it. But I just think most marriages and most families are comprised of people who really mean well, but this will kill you. Like, uh, excuse me, this will end the marriage, kill the marriage if you get stuck in the cycle. And so I don't know. I think that's the result of the work that I did was I had to think about these like really subtle, really nuanced ideas because 
relationships fall apart all the time and they don't involve physical abuse or, or any like sexual misconduct of any kind or, you know, sort of like, you know, betrayal or infidelity, mm-hmm. crime, stuff that like everybody would universally agree we're going to end our marriages for because those are bad things. Most just die, you know, death yeah. by thousands of paper cuts. And yeah. this to me is the most common paper cut is this blindness to how we habitually respond to people in pain and how it feels so abandoning and neglectful to the person asking for love, support, help, whatever it is. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's so, what would be a better response just off the top of your head? Is there something that the person that is in that response loop for their partner of invalidating their experience, what would be a better way of responding to that? I think about it in that like ultra simplistic math equation that we talk about. The math result of something I did or didn't do, failed to do, caused pain for my partner. And she's now reporting it to me. I want my default response to be sorry I want to be sorry, not necessarily like I'm guilty, not right, not admitting guilt in a court of law. I just love this person and I don't want her to suffer in really major ways or in really minor ways. And I don't want the narrative. It's it's like this big mosaic of like all these things that I have to think about, right? Like in order to consider my partner, but it goes so much deeper than invalidating my wife over a conversation about a dish by the sink or, or a piece of laundry in the, in, in the bedroom or something like that. But when I learned how to see that this habitual response pattern communicates to somebody that they're not seen, that they're not heard, that they're not respected, that they're not cared for, they're not going to show up for them and they can't trust me to, I feel this great sense of like, holy shit, this is what the sum of my actions have resulted in for And I feel like bad about it. Not everybody will. So I don't want to like project on everyone else. I'm sorry that the the math results of something I did or didn't do caused this like painful experience that you're having right now. And what I want guys to really do is, and you talked about this idea a little bit ago of like uh, something that seems like benign or innocuous or inconsequential, right? These things that they surprise people in relationships. So like, how could you be hurt by that? That's when like the real work begins. What if instead of freaking out and invalidating your partner and trying to convince them that they should think something different or feel something different, what if you sought to understand how that incident that seems so benign to you resulted in pain for that? And right, often, often it does turn out to be something sort of like in their psychological profile, their emotional profile. It was like, hey, you know what? Because I feel exactly how I felt when I was nine and I didn't have any voice like at home and my older siblings and my parents kind of like made fun of me. And like, I don't know, maybe people say stuff like that. I don't have any older siblings, but I you know, I have heard that before. This, this notion of I didn't have a voice growing up. So to not have one as an equal partner in a marriage mm. feels very painful to me. It's dangerous to like, for me, I don't like to dabble in like doctor territory. I, I don't try yeah, to be- no, I hear you amateur psychologist guy, but I do like to understand conceptually. I like explanations. I mean, it helps like cement ideas in my head. And so if I can get to the root of why something that seems so innocent to me actually hurt this other person, if I do the work, I'll remember, right? If I brush it off as something that doesn't matter, I'm a threat to have this happen again in 48 hours or next week or next month. But if I do the work of understanding how situation X resulted in pain for my partner. Well, then maybe I can see situation X as we're moving through life together, moving forward. And then I can be the kind of person that's anticipating emotional wants and needs in real time, which is what is so critical. I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah. There must be people who anticipate our partner's needs in real time as life's happening. Else we can't be trusted. Yes. They just won't trust us. And, and it's really that simple. And, and, I'm fine with people choosing not to be in a relationship if they think that's some unfair set of circumstances that they don't want to be a part of, fine. But if you decide that you want companionship and romantic partnership, I just think this is part of the deal. Accept responsibility for meeting needs as life's happening. And when you fail to, you're going to communicate to your partner just how unimportant, how invisible, how something, how detached or self-centered you are, I, I don't know, but it's 
Those were all of the narratives that I told my wife. She did the right thing. I really do calculate that today. I was so miserable, you know, nine-ish years ago when our marriage was ending. And one of the most empowering moments of my life was when I came to the conclusion that a healthy mother would make that choice every time. Wow. And then, you know, and she like, you know, lit the, the wick of like me being motivated to do the work. Yeah. A lot of people say, how do I do this? And how do I get him to like do that work? I'm sorry. I, I wasn't going to do I, This is such bad news for people. I wasn't going to do it until it hurt bad enough where I had to figure out how to not like hurt that bad anymore. Well, this was how. And it's so good because it's like holistic. It's like self-preservation, but also helps me, I think, become a more evolved human being who but learns how to demonstrate love for other people via action instead of just lip service. Yes. Yeah. One thing that you said that I wanted to amend, or if I could humbly add something, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, is what you're saying about really taking your time to understand the other person doesn't mean that your own feelings are invalidated, right? So can you speak to that? a little bit more for the people out there who are listening and are really picking up what you're putting down, but they may feel, well, that's me understanding the other person then invalidates my feelings about the situation. There might be an art to this, depending on people. I I feel confident in myself today that I could pull it off. I would just have to like, it would have to happen in real time, right? I almost Mm -hmm. can't even like invent the scenario. Yeah. But what is important to me is that the math result of what I do, my habitual thoughtless, I don't mean thoughtless in like a selfish way. I mean, thoughtless in like a, this is going to be my default setting. This is my autopilot response pattern. It used to be to invalidate people if I disagreed with them Mm. or to like, yeah, but, and like share, like, you know, my feelings. And you talked to earlier about who has the biggest feelings and they get to to win. We are all screaming for our feelings to be heard. Of course they matter. And they really serve, in my estimation, as important context and like explanation for the originally aggrieved party for why we would have done the hurtful thing in the first place. But the response, and what happens is people get stuck in this like invalidation pattern. Every single time I go to my partner and I say something's wrong and that I'm hurt and I'm asking to be listened to, to be heard, to be understood, he or she communicates that they think I'm wrong intellectually, that they think I'm wrong emotionally, or they just are really defensive about it. Every single time, that's what happens. And so that person, right, they're going to be quick on the emotional trigger for I'm being invalidated right now. You know, in a perfect world, they're not anticipating invalidation. In a perfect world, it's, I am so, I think a healthy relationship comprises somebody that says, hey, partner, I felt bad because of this thing that happened earlier. And then the other partner is like, holy shit, I'm really sorry. And I think there's like the requisite amount of trust there that they wouldn't assume the worst, but you assume the worst after 15, 20 years in a relationship where this is happening to you almost every day, you do assume the worst. And I don't want to like demonize, you know, somebody from having a quick emotional trigger about it because it is the math result of like what has happened up to this point. But can I apologize? Can I mean it? This isn't an apology like, I'm so sorry I did this horrible thing and hurt you. It's not that. It's, I'm so sorry that the result of my behavior like caused you pain. And like, you know, I, did, I didn't know, but that's not an excuse. You know, the work is for me to know moving forward. So it's like, hey, and so if it's a mystery to you, why something you did or didn't do hurt your partner, like, I would really strongly encourage you to try to figure that out. Because it can serve you so well moving forward when like situations pop up and you get to apply this like lesson from yesterday or last week or last month and say, in situations like this, my wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, husband, whoever feels like this. And so I'm going to like account for that. I'm going to consider that when I do whatever I do next. I, I met a man named Alex Yaro. He's a conflict resolution guy and he works with like businesses. And he taught me this four or five step apology. And he does this like, you know, radical personal responsibility thing that I I believe in apologizing. Even if it's like, how could I have even known? Can you just be sorry that a person you love hurts? Like, why is that such a big ask? It's not admitting guilt. It's just you caring about someone else. 
And then step three, I think, is of this apology is what, what I was aiming for. I just want you to know this does not negate your feelings. I don't mean to minimize them in any way, but I want you to know truly what I was attempting to accomplish by doing this. The vast majority of the time, it's like person watching TV never thought about it at all. And I think that's a really useful step for that person to go through. Turns out I didn't consider you at all. And that's why consideration is and validation are the, the, the two cornerstone ideas of the work that, that I do. If you mindfully include your partner in your decision-making process habitually as your default setting day in and day out, and then when they communicate something's wrong, they feel validated, loved, supportive, cared for, I don't think those people have trust and safety problems in that relationship. Yeah, I totally I haven't agree. met anybody yet that that's true about. I don't get to be the, the, the arbiter of truth. But those to me are cornerstone habits that can serve you well in every relationship. Yes, I so, love that. Well, here's one of the ways I talk about it. And I'll be really interested in your feedback on it. It's, I talk about with, again, most of the time I'm talking to men. And I like to present this hypothetical example of a child being in his or her bedroom, waking up in the middle of the night crying because they're afraid of a monster hiding under the bed. And so me as the father to this crying child, I can run upstairs because I want to make sure he or she's okay. In my case, I have a son. He's 13 now, but he used to be little. And so when he was a four years old, he was a threat to do this. And let's pretend he's still four. And I walk in the room and my son's freaking out because he's afraid of a monster hiding under his bed. And it'll take me all of like a second and a half to like ascertain what's going on and have my brain say, this is stupid. There is not a monster under the bed. Therefore, this crying is like, a total exaggeration. It's like, it's an overreaction. It, he doesn't even need to feel the bad thing in the first place because it's based on something that isn't true. And I might say that to him in my, you know, 10 years ago way. I might say, dude, there's no monster under the bed. Like you're freaking out right now and you don't need to. And if I was, you know, if I was really not being my best self, I might be like, but I don't have time for like invisible monsters. Toughen up. I might say something insane, like, you know, toughen up. Boys don't cry you know, be my big boy, go to sleep. And I don't have time for this. Everything's fine and leave. And I, I like to talk through that because I, I think there's really important ideas there. One, I'm right. Like if there's like a judge and a jury, I win the like, who's most right contest. I'm right that there's no monster. Two, I love that child more than anything in the world. And I I guess I can't really prove that, but I hope you'll take me at my word. And three, I would never try to hurt my son on purpose, ever. Those three facts are super relevant to me because I think in romantic relationships, those are true as well. We can believe we're right. We can love our partner intensely and we can never set out to harm them in any way. But if when they communicate something's wrong, something's causing me to feel pain or fear or sadness, and the other person doesn't think that has merit for one reason or another, either intellectually or emotionally, the default response is you don't need to think of this or you don't need to feel this because the thing you believe exists, you're wrong about it, right? And that happens all the time. I don't know if that's a conversation that you've been part of, but you know, we do this, we can love our kids and we can say this to them. I think the math results of me telling my son, there's no monster, toughen up, go to sleep, is he's still afraid He's still, you know, sad and alone and yeah. crying. But I think the most significant sort of math result of behaving like that is he, he can't trust me anymore. Yeah. He learned that when he invited dad to be part of like not feeling fear anymore, dad abandoned him literally or metaphorically to cry alone in the dark after implying that his brain was wrong or his feelings were weak. And I just, I damaged my relationship with my son in this fabricated example. Yeah. And I don't want to be somebody who damages my relationship with other people. And so there's a different way to show up for somebody. And that is my son's freaking out. He's crying because there's a monster in the bed and I can go in that bedroom and I can survey the scene and I can know that there's no monster there, but I can sit down on the bed and I can hug that child. I could be like, bud, I don't think there's a monster in the bed, but I'm so sorry that you're feeling like afraid right now. Like I've been afraid before and being afraid is really scary. And I'm like, you know, let's turn a light on. Let's look under the bed. Let's make sure there's no monster there. But I think the most important work in the context of relational skill is 
I'm not leaving until you know your bedroom's safe, until you know your house is safe. And I think most significantly that you know, you can call mom, you can call dad. And if something's wrong, we're going to show up for you. We might not be able to fix the bad thing, but you never have to like suffer this bad thing alone. Like that is the work of like building safety and trust in a relationship with somebody. And so I didn't do anything wrong when I calculated there wasn't a monster under the bed and that he didn't need to feel the fear and he didn't need to cry. But by responding in a way that that communicates that, I erode trust with him and I don't get to have it anymore. After, if that's how I'm always showing up, sooner or later, I won't be invited to dad I being bullied at school, dad, a kid offered me drugs, right, dad, I'm right, having problems right. with a romantic partner. I want to be somebody he invites right into his life when things are suffering. I think we'll have a, a better father-son relationship if that's the case. I yes. hope I've done the work to earn that. You know, we'll find out he's 13. Things are going to oh. start to go down. Matthew, I literally, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't want to stop oh, so you mid-thought, no, but no. I'm just like that last bit, I agree with a thousand percent. And I just, I love everything that you're saying about it. I'm, I'm so excited about this book and I'm excited to read every single word. And I can't wait for everybody that's listening to read the book. What I really wanted to do, and I think it's really important. I think the metaphor is obvious, at least with many of the guys that I work with and my, my coaching, when we get done talking about this monster in the bed scenario, I think the parallels with how they're reacting to their adult romantic partners, they seem pretty obvious to them. And they realize, and so I, I all, I'm always going back to this, there's no monster under the bed, but it's not relevant. Us getting hung up on the merits of a monster being there or not, and how scary it should be, and how much crying and fear there should be, are not relevant metrics to safety and trust in our relationship. So mindfully show up in a manner that builds trust, that promotes safety, that, you know, like resets this human being that you love to a state of comfort. And if you can effectively do that and show up for people in that way, you're somebody I believe they will calculate to be trustworthy. And then we will not be inadvertently systematically harming our, our relationship. I just think that's this really powerful, somewhat invisible dynamic in a lot of relationships. And I think a lot of men particularly are sort of like blind to the way they accidentally erode trust. And I love that example because I think particularly fathers uh, can really like latch onto it and understand that it's, it's not always about true, false, right, wrong, correct, incorrect. It's often about, can we behave in a way where the math result is safety and trust in the relationship? And I, I think it's a powerful way to think about it and sort of reset like your belief system and help you become a more healthy relational human being. Yes. I have zero to add to that beautiful example. I mean, in fact, as you're telling the story, I'm reflecting on so many different scenarios, so many different situations. And I know that everybody that's listening to this can do the same, if not as already quantifying the same. So I would love to continue this conversation. Please come back to see us. Where can everybody go to learn more? Oh, thank you. I suppose the, the best place is, is my blog, com, which is a reference to my substandard dating life when I first became divorced. I didn't know that I was going to write about relationships and become like a personal development guy. So it was all very accidental. <laughs> and then, you know, I can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter, but I'm not, I'm not an overly active social media person, though I think there's people in my life like publishers and agents that want me to uh, get better at that. I also feel remiss to point out that your book is coming out, I believe, February 22nd. (laughs) So much for like encouraging people to buy mine, but I I hope they do the same for you. Congratulations also, because this is an exciting time, right? It is a very, very exciting time. And I'm so grateful. (laughs) Shameless plug. Thank you so much. We'll add all of those links that Matthew just mentioned in the show notes. So definitely pick the book up and Be sure to share this with anybody who you think would find great value. And um, hopefully Matthew will become more active on social media because that's where we like to stalk people. So thank you again so much for everything. And please come back to see us. Rosie, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.